Hello and welcome to Holistic Health Chats, a podcast where we chat about all things holistic women's health and everything in between. I'm your host, Selene Douglas, a women's health nutritionist with a focus on helping women to heal holistically and live pain and symptom free. I'm so happy that you've made your way here. Tune in every week so we can listen, learn and be inspired together. Hello and welcome back to episode two in the hormone series. This episode is titled, Is It Really PCOS? So last episode, we talked a bit around PCOS in general, and then mostly on the topic of insulin resistance and some things that you need to be mindful of if that's you. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I would start there. If not, we'll carry on with today's episode. So just again, a little refresher, um, PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. In my opinion, it needs a rebrand and we need to name it something that's not going to cause so much confusion because the polycystic ovarian part of it really does cause a lot of confusion and it should arguably be changed. So just to refresh, there's different types of PCOS. There's insulin resistance PCOS, which is the one that we talked about last time, which is the most common. There's also inflammatory PCOS. So inflammatory really means, you know, you could have chronic gut infection, you could have inflammation sort of within your immune system. Like there's lots of facets within that. Inflammation is obviously a really broad term and that requires a lot of digging. You can start with some basic blood testing to see if we can identify anything there, but ultimately there probably does need to be more digging there. Our next type is post-pill PCOS. So it's very coming off the pill to experience symptoms that look like PCOS, but this is often temporary. So it will only last a couple of months. And then less common is adrenal PCOS, where we would see most likely higher DHEAS rather than testosterone as that key androgen in PCOS. So as we talked about last time, the diagnostic criteria for PCOS is called the Rotterdam criteria. This is what's most commonly used. And the criteria states that you need to meet two out of three of the criteria in order to qualify for the diagnosis. So as I spoke about last time, I'm a nutritionist. It is not my place to diagnose anyone. And I certainly don't do that in clinic. It's out of my scope of practice. It is always up to a doctor or a general practitioner to be able to diagnose anything. But that criteria is one high antigen. So that means that we've got symptoms of high testosterone um, or high DHEAS, or we're measuring that on a blood test and able to actually see that those antigens are elevated. So some of the symptoms that you might uh, notice with those are going to be excess hair growth and often acne, which can be either on the face, but it can also be, you know, across the chest and back. That's what I see quite commonly. Our next symptom in that criteria is irregular or anovulatory cycles. So anovulatory just means that you're having menstrual cycles in which you're not ovulating, which if you don't know how to track that or what you're looking for, you might not even know. But if you're having anovulatory cycles more often than not, they're irregular. It's not always the case, but mostly irregular. And then that last defining characteristic is polycystic ovaries. So we're going to get into some of the issues, I suppose, with this criteria and why 
why if we're looking at this criteria as helpful as it is, we also need to be thinking about what else could potentially present with these symptoms. And I really think that with anything, we need to be taking this approach. So there's a saying that says, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And often when you get used to seeing a certain presentation in clinic, you can become single focused. And this applies to any health practitioner. So you can, I guess, get to a place where you potentially are not sort of looking for what else could be causing those. And that's something that we definitely have drilled into us in training is that we need to be thinking about what else could be causing these symptoms. It really should be part of that thorough case taking, but unfortunately it's just not always done. So we need to be thinking about ruling out all possible causes to really get that correct confirmed diagnosis and getting the right diagnosis is key to know know what you actually need to do in order to create progress and move from where you're stuck in your health problem, what your symptoms are in order to move forward and achieve that health that you want. So despite the name, um, polycystic ovary syndrome or ovarian syndrome really doesn't have anything to do with cysts on the ovaries. That is not its defining characteristic. The cysts that are on the ultrasound are not actually cysts. So again, I know this is really confusing. It's like, why is it termed that way if that's not actually what it is? But those cysts are actually follicles or eggs, like immature eggs really are follicles. So in the lead up to ovulation, initially all of us, so whether you have PCOS or not, if your body is trying to ovulate, there will be a collection of follicles that are sort of trying to be picked, I guess. So imagine that there are all these little follicles and one of them wants to be picked and then your body eventually picks one and chooses this as like the golden child. It's going to put all of its energy and resources into fully maturing this follicle. And this will be the one that goes on to um, release the egg and ovulate and all of that good stuff. So imagine there's lots of different follicles trying to reach the finish line. And what tends to happen if you have a regular cycles, even if you just ovulate at different times of the month, but it also happens in everyone, is that these follicles are trying to mature. Eventually, your body chooses one. So what I was going to say was that in people with irregular cycles, often this process is happening multiple times. So your body is essentially trying to ovulate more than once in a cycle, which is quite common when you have that irregularity. Um, So imagine that basically there's all these follicles Body puts all the resources into one, trying to mature it, and something happens. It it doesn't have the right nutrients on board to do it. There's something really stressful going on in the environment, whatever it is, and basically it gives up on that dominant follicle. It says, look, too hard basket. Let's go back to the drawing board. And then all these follicles are trying to be picked again, right? So this can happen in anyone, particularly if you ovulate at different points in your cycle, particularly if you have trouble ovulating, but it also happens in women with no hormonal issues, at least at one point in the cycle, right? Because at one point those follicles are trying to be picked. So sometimes that is going to happen once, sometimes it's going to be happening multiple times. So the problem here is that A, this is not a defining characteristic of anyone. It can happen in in anyone. So you don't need to have a hormonal imbalance for this to occur. It's problem number one. And we really can't use that to form a diagnosis. There is cysts. 
there's such a thing as cysts, obviously, but they're different to this. So if you have cysts, characteristically, you're going to be experiencing pain, potentially a lot of ovulation pain, and then often pain around your menstrual cycle. And so if you experience that, that is something different. Of course, go and speak to your GP about that, but we are not talking about cysts, even though they're called that. Very confusing, I know. But basically what you need to know is that an ultrasound really should be removed from the criteria and that we can't be using this to diagnose nor rule out PCOS. So of the symptoms, so high androgens, irregular periods, and irregular ovulation, what are some of the other reasons that could cause these symptoms? So other reasons for androgen excess, so other reasons that we might see high testosterone or high DHEAS. So there's one congenital, which just means genetic condition called adrenal hyperplasia. Approximately, the stats indicate that accounts for around 9% of androgen excess, I believe. And even 9%, like that's quite high, right? So um, we need to be thinking about whether our symptoms of androgen excess could be caused by that or not. The next common thing is high prolactin. So prolactin is a hormone that we should be producing in high amounts when we breastfeeding. Outside of that, we want it to sit between 100 and 200. So other than the androgen excess, the other very, very common symptom that we'll have with high prolactin is cyclical breast pain, swelling, and tenderness. So if you're someone that one to two weeks of your menstrual cycle, you notice that your breasts get really sore, perhaps they even get lumpy and very tender, then this is often a uh, indication that you have high prolactin. And that can be caused by low thyroid hormone uh, production and also iodine uh, insufficiency. So iodine deficiency, that would be our most common reason. So there are other things that could cause that androgen excess. And then of course, some forms of birth control as well. If you don't have androgen excess, so if we can't pick up those androgens on a blood test, or you don't have any of the symptoms, then it's very unlikely that you actually have PCOS. So a more correct terminology, I suppose, instead of polycystic ovarian syndrome, because I think we've established that it's really confusing, would be androgen excess when all other causes have been ruled out. So that androgen excess is a key defining feature, but there's also, as we know, other reasons why we can have that. So we need to be thinking about those as well and not just saying it's PCOS. You can have polycystic ovaries on an ultrasound and irregular periods and not have PCOS. I think we've established that now. Ultrasound is yeah, really not a defining feature. You can have that and the irregular periods and not have PCOS. And so androgens are really that big defining characteristic. Another reason that you could have irregular or absent periods is hypothalamic amenorrhea. And often when we have HA or hypothalamic amenorrhea, we'll have complete absence of a menstrual cycle. So no period at all, but preceding that it will often become irregular first. Most commonly, this is caused by under eating and or overtraining. It can be a combination of the both. So basically that the body doesn't have enough resources in order to have a regular menstrual cycle. So if you have really low body fat percentage, if you are you know, under eating, if you are highly stressed and your body is using all of its resources, these are some of the big reasons why 
we will see hypothalamic amenorrhea. So in women in the early stages of HA, particularly, it is common, as I said, to have that irregular cycle. And in that, we would also see the polycystic ovaries because you can imagine that these women who are in those early stages that don't have enough resources to have a period what precedes that is going to be your body trying to ovulate multiple times. So it's going to be really common for those particular women to have polycystic ovaries on an ultrasound. So I hope that makes sense. And it is unfortunately common for women to be incorrectly diagnosed and if and often handed a script for metformin. So I have seen this happen many times, which makes me really sad. So I, I really want you all to know that, especially if you have PCOS. So the best way to distinguish between PCOS and HA, obviously as a clinician, when I'm going through someone's intake form, you know, there's there's always, I suppose, a degree of, I don't want to say, sometimes people are not 100%, I guess, transparent with what they put on their intake form, but usually the good estimate is around sort of 80%, I suppose. So if we're looking at that, it's quite easy for for, I suppose, me to be able to look at someone's intake form and kind of start asking some questions and thinking that perhaps HA is a more correct or perhaps, you know, that underlying cause for their irregular or absent menstrual cycle because we would obviously see that person's not eating enough food for their output or that their output is just so high. So we start to look at those factors and think that, "Mm, yeah, you know, perhaps that's actually not the issue. But if you're obviously not working with a practitioner, something else that you can look at doing is testing your luteinizing hormone to follicle stimulating hormone ratio. So your L H to FSH ratio. Um, In PCOS, you're going to have much higher LH than FSH. So PCOS, high LH, uh, lower FSH. In hypothalamic amenorrhea, you're going to have low LH and high FSH. Hypothalamic amenorrhea, low LH, higher FSH, okay? So I will pop that in the show notes as well because I know sometimes it gets really confusing when we just talk in abbreviations as well. If you are getting a menstrual cycle but it's irregular, you'd want to look at testing that on day two. Now, just to clarify, day one is the first day that you bleed. Not that if you have spotting, not when you spot, the day one is the first day that you bleed so that the second day of your menstrual cycle, you will still have a period at that point of testing, just to be clear on that. If you don't have a menstrual cycle at all, then we can do that at any point in the cycle, but it is better if we can try and do it on day two. So I hope that was helpful. I hope that you've learned some of the other reasons that we can have the symptoms of PCOS and what those other things could be and how to rule those out. If you have any questions about that, you can always come and find me over on Instagram. I'm absolutely always happy to chat. So come and find me and you can send me a DM. You can find the links for all of that in the show notes. And I also just want to mention that early next year, 2022. So around February, I'm going to be reopening doors to my signature program called the Hormone Repair Protocol. And that's where I teach you exactly what you need to know about unpacking your hormonal imbalances. I'll give you the guidance, the strategy, and what you need really to heal your hormones and ultimately live pain and symptom-free. That's what I want for you. Um, In the show notes, you'll find the link to join the wait list. I do keep numbers capped because as a clinician, I really still want to be able to offer 
that individualized touch and support that you ultimately need. Because as I'm sure you've come to realize, health and particularly hormones, but health in general is very nuanced. And I simply don't believe that you can get incredible results without that personalized touch because we aren't all the same. We are all unique. And that is a defining feature, I suppose, that I really like to always ensure I'm providing in all of my programs. So numbers are capped. If you are thinking that you might like to join, then just jump on the wait list. And that just means that you'll be first to hear when doors open. I'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Holistic Health Chats. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you could leave me a rating and review in iTunes, as this allows me to help more women just like you. Holistic Health Chats is not intended to replace medical advice. So please consult with your practitioner before making any changes to your current health. If you are ready to take your health to the next level and would like some personalized support, the next step is booking in for a complimentary health chat. Please head to selendouglas.com forward slash book for more information.